Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to some brand new scripture. <laughs> Hebrews. <laughs> Hebrews is brand new to a lot of people, isn't it? Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. You know, I um, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but we'd been pastoring out here for a long time, and um, we were uh, Beth and I were talking on the phone to uh, uh, Brother Hagen and, and Aretha. And she was on one phone and I was on the other, and they had did the same thing. And and uh, so they had a, I don't remember where it was, but they had a meeting coming up. Brother Hagen had a meeting coming up somewhere that he was going to go, and, and he, um, he asked, uh, he said, uh, or I, I guess I'm the one that started. I said, well, I'm not sure what our schedule looks like, but we'd sure like to come out. Hadn't been in a meeting in a long time. I'd like to come out and see you folks. And Dad said, well, yeah, we'd like to see you come. If you, you know, if you can work it out, we'd like to have you there. And uh, then he told us what the dates were. They got out the calendar and got, showed us what the dates were, and it was a meeting we couldn't come to, and or at least not the first part of the week. And so, uh, so I said, "Oh, we've got something going on. We can't get there for the first part of the meeting." And and uh, you know, I don't know if coming that far—it was cross country, so I didn't know if going that far for just a day or two was the best way to go. Maybe wait till another time. So we, you know, you, you know how you do that kind of stuff. I just, well, I just don't know. I want to, and that kind of stuff. And Dad said, "Well, I'm just going to be teaching on faith. It's no big deal." And, and it just shocked the stew out of me. It just, it, and it, it just left me dumbfounded. And I said, Dad, you have got to be kidding me. You teaching on faith changed my life. And I, it, it never occurred to me that he got, that there were times where he just thought, well, it's just the same old thing. No, nothing new to give anybody. And I never heard him teach faith any time that I didn't get something new from it. And folks, I got to tell you, I, um, when I, when I get stuck in life, you know, when, uh, when, what I mean by that is, um, Things aren't always new and fresh, you know. Sometimes it's routine. Sometimes it's same old stuff. I always go back to the basics. I, I'm I'm amazed at people that go into this off-the-wall, way-out-there stuff, trying to excite themselves about the things of God. I always go back to what I know works. I always go back to the foundation stuff. I always go back to faith. I, as many sermons as I've heard, as many sermons as I've preached on faith, I appreciate faith, the subject of faith, probably more than any other thing because it changed my life. I, I just don't understand these people that think, oh, well, don't want to hear faith again. I'm thinking, are you kidding? I'll always want to hear faith. I'll always want to hear. I, I want somebody to teach you that knows what they're talking about, certainly. But uh, for goodness sakes, you can't get anything more exciting than something that can change your life, and faith does. So, Mark chapter 11. Jesus curses the fig tree. The disciples hear it. Next morning they come by and see it. You draw it to his attention and say, Master... We'll start in verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they, the disciples, saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Different translations translate this in different ways. Some say have the faith of God. Some, uh, the original Greek says reckon on God's faithfulness. I really like that. Reckon on God's faithfulness. Faith works not because of you. Faith works because God is faithful. I've, I've heard some people talk about having faith in your faith. And there's an element of that, that. I mean, you have to believe in your words. If you know you're not a person of your word and faith is based on you speaking words, if your words don't mean anything, then you don't expect anything to happen. So there is an element of having faith in your faith. But I've heard some people talk about it from the standpoint of it's my faith, bless God, and my faith works. Well, not unless God's faithful. You can have all the kind of faith in the world. And if God's not faithful to operate according to his word, then it doesn't work. And if he's faithful to operate according to his word, then it's him that gets the credit and not you. 
Amen? But Jesus answering said, have faith in God. Uh, Brother Hagin used to say, if it's the faith of God, that means it's the God kind of faith. And he's right. For verily I say unto you, verse 23, that whosoever shall say, thank God it works for whosoever. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. The only qualifier there is shall not doubt in your heart. That's it. Then, because the principle of faith, as explained in verse 23, works, he says, here's how it works in prayer. Therefore, I say unto you, verse 24, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, folks, stop and think about this. We take this apart and we've sliced and diced this thing so many times in so many different ways. And it's so easy to look at and start, you know, taking it apart and piecing it together and stuff like that. But step back and take a look at the context, the overall thing that Jesus is saying. The disciples have just witnessed nature changing in a supernatural way. And they draw it to Jesus' attention. And Jesus explains like it's the simplest thing in the world. Everybody should know this. He doesn't take a position that, yeah, this was a real hard case. He doesn't say, okay, now guys, I've been waiting for the right time to talk to you about this because this is really, really important and there's a lot of complicated pieces to this. Simple as can be. He says, have faith in God. For whosoever shall say unto the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And make sure you don't doubt in your heart once you start saying. Then he'll have whatsoever he says. Simplest thing in the world. Literally, simplest thing in the world. Jesus does not say, yeah, but guys, please understand, I've been working on this forever. And see, I don't have the same sin nature in my flesh that you do. And so I've got a real advantage on you on this. And see, all those things are things that we think in one form or another. We think, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. Well, he said, whosoever. He didn't say he had an advantage. He didn't say it worked for him better than it'll work for you. He didn't say any of that kind of stuff. And he throws it out like, again, I don't know how to say it any any better than this. Like it's the simplest thing in the world. Everybody should get this. How many people do you know that get this? We're still working on getting it ourselves, aren't we? And most of the church world will thumb their nose. They'll they'll stick their nose up at it and, and, and speak in a condescending way about this thing called faith. And if they ever do talk about faith, it's in this general doesn't mean anything context that's, that you can't even define. Jesus defines what faith is. He says, it's believing in your heart and speaking with your mouth. He didn't come up with this faith as some nebulous, you know, smoke in the air that you can't put your hand on. No, he said, here's what faith is. And you need to have it. Pretty simple. It works by speaking and it works by praying. Well, if you're going to speak, you ought to know this. And if you're going to pray, you ought to know this too. Which in my estimation is pretty much everybody on the planet. Don't you think? Simplest thing in the world. Never do we see Jesus struggling with faith. Now, we sometimes do. We sometimes overcomplicate it. And we sometimes try to, uh, well, sometimes people have, have helped along in that area by the way they preach it. And, you know, there's different ways you can approach the subject of faith. I could teach faith from a standpoint where I tell you stories to make it seem like I can do something with my faith that you can't do with yours. Jesus didn't do that. Aggravates me when I see other preachers doing that. Jesus picked the simplest things to describe stuff. Don't you know he could have blown their minds with, them, with some things? I mean, just the fact that he said, I've got a lot of things I could tell you, but you can't handle them. That should have been clue, uh, enough of a clue. He could have blown them away anytime he wanted to, but he never did. He always put it out there like, look, here's how it works. Here's how you can do it too. 
It frustrates me when I see people struggling with faith because faith is not something you struggle over. Faith is something you simply do. And so how does it work? He says it works by believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. Whosoever shall say. He showed, first of all, what he did. He just said to the fig tree, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. So whosoever shall say. Works on trees, works on mountains, works on any problem. Whosoever shall say. Under this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. I think, and I can't come up with another explanation for this, I think Jesus is trying to say, look, it won't work just for the things that you've already seen. It'll work on even bigger stuff than that. Why else would he be talking about a mountain? I don't really think he's saying, look, we need to move that mountain from here to there. I don't think he's talking about geography or topography or anything else. I think he's trying to get across the point. This will work on even bigger stuff than what you just witnessed. It'll work on anything, no matter what the size, no matter how big, no matter how big a problem. It'll work on anything. Otherwise, why is he saying it? He's got to be what he's getting across. So he says, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. You can remove your problems with faith. You can remove obstacles in your life by faith. That has to be what he's saying. That's the example he gives. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt. Here's the only qualifier in the whole verse. And shall not doubt. Now, the same part's easy. Anybody can say. But the qualifier is, and shall not doubt in your heart. But instead, shall believe. Well, if he's talking about doubting in your heart, he must be talking about believing in your heart. But shall believe in his heart that whatsoever things he saith shall come to pass, then he shall have whatsoever he saith. So what is he telling us to believe in? He's saying to believe that your words bring forth results. Now, as I said before, it's important that we watch our words. Because if you're somebody who just throws out words without really meaning anything by them or just talks just for the sake of talking, you're going to have a harder time with faith. You'll find that the most successful people in faith are the ones that are the quietest because their words count. They watch over their words. They're careful. They think through what they say before they just jump out there. Peter was notorious for jumping out there before he thought about what he was saying. And and Jesus loved the guy. He loved him. He appreciated his willingness to jump out there and, and take part. When Jesus was walking on the water, everybody saw him and they were afraid. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's just me. Peter's the first one that speaks up and says, Master, if it's you, tell me to come out there and walk with you. Jesus had to love that. Had to. But right on the other hand, Peter gets out there and starts thinking, what in the world have I done? He didn't really think about it before he did. Now, there's one element of that that can be really good. But when it comes to faith, that can be really bad. Because you've got to believe something about your words. You've got to believe that your own words will work because God's faithful. Not because they're your words, but because God's faithful to honor our words. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that whatsoever things he saith shall come to pass. Shall come to pass. If Jesus appeared right here, just all of a sudden everybody could see him and said... From this moment forward, whatever you say will come to pass in the disappeared. Would that change the way you talk? I dare you to find anybody that says it wouldn't. Well, guess what, folks? That's just what he said. That's exactly what he's saying in verse 23. Your words will govern your life. That's how important your words are. We need to know what we're saying. We need to think about what we say. We need to calculate what words we're going to say because words are containers. 
Words are like jars. There's something in them whenever we speak. Now, there may be foolishness in them. There may be doubt in them. They may even be idle words where they're empty and and non-productive. But they carry something. They contain something every time we open our mouths. They're supposed to carry faith. They're supposed to carry the word of God. They're supposed to carry that which God has either said or that which God has revealed by principle for us to operate in. Then he goes further and talks about faith in prayer. The prayer of faith. He said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. In other words, he's saying, here's a guarantee for getting answers in prayer. Believe that you receive when you pray. Now, I want you to turn with me over to Mark chapter 5. Here's another one that you're very familiar with, I'm sure. But it's one of the greatest examples of somebody, just somebody, nobody special, although everybody's special to God. But nobody, she's not an apostle. She's not one of the 70. She's not one of the 120. She's not anybody in Jesus' group. She's just somebody, normal person that makes this faith thing work, where the disciples, in many cases, are left behind. Notice it says, beginning in verse, uh, we'll start reading in verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. So God's not her first attempt at getting better then, is she? Or is he? She's been to physicians. She's spent everything she had. They don't do her any good, can't do her any good. I guess physicians were back then just like they are now, and that is they practice medicine. And that's that's not a criticism. That's not a slam on anybody. I appreciate the good work that doctors do, but anybody that's honest will tell you they're just practicing medicine. They'll try one thing. If that doesn't work, they'll try something else. Well, if they knew everything like most people think that they do, then they wouldn't have to try different stuff. Thank God God knows everything. He didn't have to try. So she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather rather grew worse when she had heard of Jesus. Did you know she was glad somebody told her about Jesus? When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, if I may but touch his clothes... I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, or power literally, had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples, boy, this bunch is really helpful. And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? In other words, don't bother us with that, Jesus. Everybody's trying to touch you. We can't find somebody. Whoever you're looking for, we can't find them. But Jesus looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Now, folks, I I think without argument, we could say the power of God made her whole. Yet Jesus credits her faith for activating the power. In other words, the power just did what it's supposed to do. Jesus commends her for exercising faith that triggers the power. I wonder if the power of God still does what it's supposed to do. Maybe that's changed. Not a chance. Of course, it still does what it's supposed to do. So God must be looking for people like her that are willing to exercise faith to trigger the power so that it can do what God sent it here to do. 
Again, Jesus does not say, wow, lady, how long have you been practicing this faith stuff? She's had an issue of blood for 12 years, but she hadn't been working on her faith for 12 years. She's been going to the back and forth. The doctors finally, it implies that she gets to the point where she realizes doctors can't help her anymore. So then she hears about Jesus. It almost implies that she's in desperation and reaches out to God. Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Again, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't identify that it's a real hard thing. He doesn't make a special example of this. He doesn't say, wait, 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 everybody come look at this. I need to teach you here. No, this is the way that things are supposed to work. Jesus just operates kind of like, well, you flipped the switch and the switch came on. Good job. Way to turn on that switch. Way to turn on that faith switch and make the power work. That's all he does. He doesn't make it a big deal. He doesn't make it a complicated thing. He just simply says, your faith made this work. Now, can I ask you a question? Where in the world did she get faith or foundation to believe that if she touched Jesus' garment, she'd be made whole? Find me a scripture that says, touch Jesus' garment, you'll be made whole. Oh, but Pastor Mike, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 says, the son of The Son of God, meaning the Messiah, will arise with healing in his wings. And wings means the garment of uh, the the tassels on his garment. Well, folks, I got two problems with that. Number one, not everybody had a Bible. Nobody had a Bible. Common people didn't have a Bible in that day. So she would have no idea that Malachi said that. The only people that had Bibles were the synagogues. They had the law and the prophets. That's why the Bible says that Jesus went to the synagogue as his custom was and stood up for to read. That's the only place they ever heard the, uh, ever heard the word of God read. It's not like she can go up, go home and get her concordance out and say, garment, tassels, wings, wings, here it is, wings. Secondly, unless she's got rabbinical training, she would have no idea that wings meant the garment or the, the hem of his garment. And to be real honest with you, it's kind of a stretch to come up with that. Because the garment, literally the garment that is referred to as the wings, the tassels on the garment that are referred to as wings are the ones that the high priest wore, not the ones that somebody like Jesus would wear. So where in the world did she get a foundation to believe that touching the hem of his garment would make her whole? Well, there's a couple of explanations, or possible explanations at least. She may have heard of other people being healed by touching his garment. But even at that, how would she know it would work for her? We don't see people coming up to Jesus saying, Jesus, I'm blind, spit in my eye. I heard you did that to some other guy. (laughs) So why would we assume that she would expect that if it worked for somebody else, it's going to work for her too? If that is what happens, she's a special lady. Because in my experience, I find that more people are willing and actively operating in trying to explain why the Bible doesn't work for them than looking for something and seeing why it will. I'm just talking about the general population. I'm not talking about you. I hope I'm not talking about you anyway. But the general population where the church world is concerned is always trying to find a reason why it won't work for them rather than saying, oh, yeah, the Bible says this, so here's how I know it will. So if she takes that position that it will work for her because it worked for somebody else, man, she's special. But even at that, how can she know for sure? Faith begins where the will of God is known. How is she ever going to overcome the doubts? And don't tell me she didn't have them. If she's a normal person, she's going to have normal doubts, just like you and I have coming against us. What about when the doubt comes against her that says, just because somebody else got it doesn't mean you will? How's she going to answer that? 
She doesn't have a scripture that says it'll work the same for everybody. How does she get to this place of faith? Yes, she does. And Jesus says, good job. Again, normal operation, simple operation, the way it's supposed to work. Good job. You made it work. See, folks, we complicate things so much. Can I tell you something about this? I'm going to. I'm just trying to be polite. Let me tell you something about this. She operated according to the principle of healing, not according to some Old Testament scripture. Jesus was sent to bring healing. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. I don't believe that she is saying literally there's healing power in that garment, so I need to make sure to touch that. I think what she's saying is if I can just get within arm's length of him to reach out and touch something, I'll be healed. I believe that her statement What she began to confess, and where it says in verse 27, I think it is, for she said, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, for she said, maybe that's verse 28, for she said, if I can just touch his garment, that word said means began to continually say. She said it more than once. She starts saying this. I think what she's saying is, if I can just get close enough to the guy that's sent from God with the power, I can have it. I don't think she's aiming for his garment. I think she's just saying, get me close enough to touch something. Now, why would that work? That would work because it's in line with God's principle of healing, the healing work that he sent Jesus to accomplish. How many of you ever had the devil trying to talk you out of believing God for something because the scripture doesn't exactly say what you want it to say? Well, sure. It's the way he works against all of us. But turn that around like she did. Wait a minute. Doesn't God want us to have answers to our prayer? Doesn't God want our needs to be supplied? Doesn't God want us to walk in divine health? Well, then no matter what the the way that it happens is, as long as we're operating according to the principle, it's going to work. Because it's your words that God hears and honors when they're spoken from your heart, as long as you meet the qualification of not doubting in your heart. Now, what's doubting in her heart? Well, in her case... She's a good example here, too, because she's got the same things to deal with that we have to deal with. Doubting in the heart means going, walking according to circumstance, speaking and acting according to the circumstances around you instead of what you believe inside. Faith is the evidence of things you can't see. So that means your words spoken from your heart are based on godly principles or scripture. Do you know, do you understand now what I mean by the difference? Godly principles of scripture. She doesn't have a scripture that says, if I can touch his garment, I'll be whole. But she's got a principle of Jesus coming to the earth to deliver healing. That's the principle. As long as she's operating according to that principle, her words are going to work. Because they have a foundation in God's plan and purpose. Well, as long as you're saying something that has a foundation in God's plan and purpose, you're in good, you're on good ground. Now, in her case, She's got nothing to go on except what she's heard about Jesus. Because she's got an issue of blood that she's had for 12 years. Apparently, it's a continuous thing. It's sapping her strength moment by moment by moment. And don't you know, by the end of her day, she is wiped out. Maybe a good night's sleep would revitalize her, re-energize her. But by the end of the day, man, this thing has just sapped strength from her. That's why it's so important for doctors to stop the bleeding if there's an injury or something like that because blood loss in itself will wear you out. You ever given blood? You're always weaker after giving blood. Why? Because the loss of blood weakens you physically. Well, she's living with this loss of blood every day. 
She's got a continuous issue of blood. So it takes some effort, we have to assume, it's taking some effort for her to get from wherever she starts off from to wherever Jesus is so she can reach out and touch something, right? Would Assuming she's like us, which she would have to be, if she was any different than us, then the Bible would have to tell us or else God would be unfair. So assuming she's like us, if you were in her situation, wouldn't the devil be telling you why it wouldn't work? Doesn't the devil try to tell you why it won't work when you speak the word of God now? Well, here's the qualifier. The qualifier is you've got to keep speaking in line with the word of God or godly principles instead of speaking and or acting in line with what you see or feel. So as long as she continues to go forward according to what she believes instead of how she feels or what she can see, then she's in good ground. She's in the operation of this faith that's going to bring results. That's the only qualifier there is, folks, and shall not doubt in his heart. Brother Hagin used to, uh, uh, in telling the story about his healing, he, um, uh, well, being around him really kind of helped piece the whole story together because he'd give his testimony and kind of hit the high spots. But then there would be other times where he would get down and he would talk about the nuts and bolts and here's where I had problems and here's a hindrance that I had to overcome and different things like that. One of the last hindrances that Brother Hagin had to overcome was in verse 24 uh, of Mark chapter 11 where it, uh, it talks about when you pray, believe that you receive. And the Lord spoke to him. And, um, and as a result of some things that Brother Hagin said. And, and Brother Hagin was real, real clear with the Lord. He's real straight with him, which I found works marvelously. He told the Lord, he said, now, Lord, if your word is true, I'm coming off this bed. Now, what is he saying? Is he saying, I'm not sure it is or not? No, he's saying, I know your word is true. You've told us that your word is true. Therefore, I'm coming off this bed. I like that because he put the responsibility on the Lord. I don't know if you know this or not, but the responsibility for God performing his word is always supposed to be on him, not you. And I see a lot of people making mistakes trying to take the responsibility on themselves. Oh, this has got to work or else I'm not going to have a good testimony. Folks, God didn't send Jesus to the earth to die on the cross so you'd have a good testimony. He sent him to the earth to make a sacrifice so that you could have abundant life and all that goes with that. Living abundant life will create the testimony. Quit trying to take the responsibility on yourself that my face got to make this work. I can't tell you how many times I have people saying, Pastor Mike, pray for me. This is my situation. Thus and such is the condition I've got. The doctors have said this, but I'm just believing God will heal me so I'll have a good testimony. I can't ever pray that prayer. God's not going to heal you so you'll have a good testimony. The simple fact is God's not going to heal you, period. Jesus already did the work and carried sickness and disease on himself. So you have already been healed, but it wasn't so you'd have a good testimony. It was so that you could have the the blessings of the abundant life, which Jesus said he came to bring. So a lot of times people take responsibility on themselves. That's not supposed to be there. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible says casting the whole of your care on him. Well, that would be care or concern where your faith is involved too. You're not supposed to be concerned about your faith working because that's just as much concern and worry as anything else. So Brother Hagin said to the Lord, he said, Lord, if your word's true, I'm coming off this bed. If your word is true, 
I'm coming off this bed. He went further to quote Mark 11:24 because you said, "What things soever you desire, I desire a well body." He said, "I desire to be healed." You said, "What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them." Now, there's part of that verse that he didn't see yet, and the Lord, and that's when he said, "Now, Lord, if you appeared here and told me, Kenneth Hagin, your problem is you don't believe," he said, "I'd have to say, Lord, respectfully, you're a liar." Because I do believe. And he said, that's when the Lord spoke to him. He said, you do believe as far as you know. Brother Hagin said the first revelation he ever got about faith was that it's based on knowledge. You believe as far as you know. That's why hearing is so important. Hearing brings knowledge that you can operate on. That's when the Lord said, but you're forgetting what the rest of that verse says. Mark eleven twenty four. It says that when you pray... You're to believe that you receive. And Brother Hagin said, I see it, I see it, I see it. I've got to believe that I've got a well body. My body is healed while I've still got the paralysis, while I'm still paralyzed. I've got to believe that in my body I receive my healing, that I have a well body while I've still got the blood disease. And went through the whole list of things that were wrong with him. I've got to believe that those things are mine even while these things still exist in my body. The Lord said, now, that's it. I got it. You got it. That's when Brother Hagin... Just by himself. Said, I call heaven and earth and hell to record that I believe I receive healing for the, the, uh, the, the deformed heart. I think it was the first thing he mentioned from the blood disease, from the paralysis, went through the whole list in the name of Jesus. He said, I'd never seen anybody do it before, but I just had an inward impression to start praising the Lord. He said, so I just kind of propped my hands up on the pillow and I said, he's been fast, been bed, been bed fast for 16 months. He said, I just kind of propped my arms, my elbows up on the pillow and started saying, thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm healed. After that went on for maybe a minute or two, the Lord spoke to him again and said, now you believe you receive your healing. He said, yes, sir. That's right. I sure do. He said, then get up. Well, people ought to be up this time of day. Now, that's where most folks would say, oh, well, Lord, I'm waiting for you to do the job. They want to wait for God to do something so that they can see it and feel the difference before they take action. But faith is acting on what you have in your heart, what you believe in your heart, instead of what you can see and feel. That's the requirement, the condition of not doubting in your heart. This woman had the same thing. She's working her way through the crowd. I doubt if she's making a lot of progress. She's doing the best she can, but again, she's in a weakened condition. We don't know what time of day this was, so if it's early morning, then maybe she's got more strength than she would have later in the day. That would seem to stand to reason with the condition that the Bible describes. But we don't know. But whatever progress she's making, every step she takes, she gets weaker and weaker and weaker. Her strength is being sapped from her. Plus, if the whole crowd is jostling along and pushing against Jesus and stuff like that, if she's having to fight the crowd like the disciples say that that the crowd is doing, then that's going to take even more strength from her, isn't it? But she keeps on. All the time, I'm sure the devil's screaming in her ear, her ear, this is not going to work. Look how weak you're getting. What if these people find out that you've got this unclean condition? Law of Moses says she could be stoned on the spot. She's got a lot of things to be concerned about, folks. She's taking her life in her hands here. This is not just, well, let's give this a try. So she's operating on something that she believes, even though she doesn't have a specific scripture that says this is what will happen. But she's operating on a principle that's in line with God's plan and purpose. Not only that, but she's fighting against her flesh and the circumstances of her flesh, the lack of strength in her flesh, 
Whatever it is that's going on, the devil is beating her up every step along the way, just like he tries to do with you and me. But what does she do? She continues based on what she believes and is and has said instead of what she sees and feels. That's what believing in the heart is all about. That's why Brother Hagin said to the Lord, if your word is true, I'm coming off this bed. Now, he's paralyzed, he's got a deformed heart, and he's got a blood disease, and any of those things could have killed him, plus he's got a number of other things that are going on as side issues. Any of those three big ones were fatal. But he says, if your word is true, I'm coming off this bed. He put the responsibility right where it belonged, that's on the Lord. That put God in a position, or put Brother Hagin in a position, that if he needs to know something else, God can tell him. And he did. End of that story was Brother Hagin threw his legs off the bed, even though he's paralyzed. He threw his legs off the bed and wound up standing up, standing upright. Healing power of God hit him in the top of his head. He wound up standing upright, healed. Because of the condition that, uh, or the, the circumstances surrounding Brother Hagin's uh, home going in uh, 2003, they had to perform an autopsy on him. And uh, that had to do with his notoriety and, and the, the coroner's office had to protect themselves and, and all that kind of stuff because he was as well known as he was. You know what they came back on this autopsy? They said that he had a heart attack because they've got to give some kind of heart. They've got to give some kind of cause of death. But literally the coroner talked to the family and the coroner said his heart stopped. There's no question about that. His heart stopped. But he had a healthy, as healthy a heart as we've seen on a 20-year-old man. That, that was at age 86. And he was born with a deformed heart. Look at how the healing power of God sustained him all those years. I think sometimes we get the idea, or at least we operate in uh, like we've got the idea, that our faith is trying to make God do something that he doesn't really want to do. That we're trying to get something out of God that he probably wouldn't do on his own. And the Bible says that's not true, folks. The Bible says faith pleases God. As long as you're operating either on a scripture or a godly principle, your faith pleases God. And that's the condition that Jesus said nothing would be impossible to you. He didn't say most things wouldn't. He didn't say, now, if you build your faith up over years, takes a long time, you know. But you'll wind up having a miracle before you die. Yet that seems to be the idea of the, 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 the way that a lot of people operate. Well, we're believing God for something, but, well, we're just believing God. Folks, God's on your side. He wants you to have whatever you're saying in line with his word or his principles, as revealed in the word. He wants you to have it more than you want to have it. He wants you to receive more than you want to receive. He's on your side. He's not working against you. He's working with you. One of the things that Jesus said the Holy Ghost would do is guide you into all truth. I bet when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. I don't know how, how I got this, but it dawned on me one day that the Holy Ghost, one of the works of the Holy Ghost is to guide you into whatever the Bible says is yours. I always looked at it as he would guide you into the truth of the word. But I thought, wait a minute. If I'm believing God for healing, that means he's going to guide me into healing. If I'm believing God for finances, that means he's going to guide me into financial victory. That means if I'm believing God for peace, he's going to guide me into peace. Whatever it is, 
that I'm believing God for, whatever principles is revealed by the Scripture or the, the principles of the Word that we can identify, just like the woman with the issue of blood, that means the Holy Ghost's job is to lead me into it, not keep me from having it. That means he's on my side. God's not trying to keep you out of something. He's trying to show you how to get there, just like he did with Brother Hagin, just like the Holy Ghost guided him, led him into the missing piece that caused him to be healed. Faith should be the simplest thing in the world, folks. We've made it complicated. And I think the biggest part of that is because we're so accustomed to living by what we see and what we feel. But faith is the simplest thing in the world. Faith is, to the Christian, faith is like breathing. You know what's amazing to me? Because of Jesus' relationship with his Father, Heavenly Father, and because of what he knew that relationship to be, you never see Jesus struggle with faith in any way whatsoever. The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we were, are, which means that the devil had to bring thoughts of doubt to him just like he brings thoughts of doubt to you and me. Otherwise, he wouldn't suffer a real temptation in the area of faith. But he did, and so that means he's tempted in the same way that we are. But it never affected him, never fazed him. He stands up in the, in the front of the boat and says, wind be still. He stops the wind calms the sea. He doesn't collapse and say, wow, that was tough. The leper comes to him and says, Master, I believe you you can heal me if you will. Jesus doesn't stop and say, well, now, this is leprosy and this is an advanced case. Same faith. Same faith in operation as if the guy had come with a headache. See, we make things tough. We think there's different degrees. We think there's different levels and different measures of things. But it's all faith. It's all faith. And, folks, there have been some people that have been so greatly used of God that never came to the understanding that faith is the same in every area. John Lake had such an authority in dealing with sickness that was unbelievable, yet he died penniless. He never could get it, never could come to the place of understanding that you believe God for finances just like you believe Him for healing. If He had ever come to the understanding that you can exercise authority to have your needs met, your material needs met, as He did exercising authority over sickness and disease, He could have extended His life and His ministry by decades. But see, that was something He didn't understand. He had a great revelation on authority where healing and and sickness and disease was concerned. But he didn't have any understanding at all when it came to material possessions. The devil ran him ragged all of his life. He he, uh, one of his wives starved to death on the mission field. He was married three times. Took him a while to get the right one, I guess. No, he had one died and he raised her from the dead and the next one. Died on the mission field. Starvation. Didn't have enough food to feed the family. That's not the way God had planned for this. And he never could understand. His writings, the things that he said about it, he never could understand. And just the simple truth that faith works the same in every area. Some people have, seem to have a greater confidence for God to meet their needs than they have a confidence that God will heal their bodies. Some people it's just the other way around. But folks, faith is faith. 
We should have the same confidence that Jesus will accomplish everything that he died for us to have equally because it's the same faith in operation. George Muller had, a, had an orphanage in England in the 1800s. By the end of his life, he was responsible for over 2,500 orphan children, their care, their daily provision, and he had no organization. He had nobody out fundraising for him. He's believing God daily for daily provisions for 2,500 orphans. He said at the end of his life, he said it was easier for him after developing his faith for 50 years. It was easier for him to believe God for the equivalent of a million dollars than it was to believe God for one dollar on that first day. Now, of course, he was talking about pounds and English pounds and stuff like that. But just I changed it up so you'd understand what he's saying. He said it was tougher for him 50 years ago when he first started to believe God for one dollar than believing God for the equivalent of a million dollars 50 years later. What did he do? He developed his faith in the area of finances. He wrote stories about how they would sit down to eat and there'd be no food on the table. And they'd pray like they're praying over their meal. And they'd sit there for a little bit and the kids would look and say, what are we supposed to do now, Dr. Muller? He said, well, let's just start singing a praise song. Let's start singing Thanksgiving to God. And before they'd finish the song, somebody would knock on the door and bring by wagonfuls of food and bread and stuff like that. He never told anybody what his needs were. But he developed his faith in that area. But not one story, not one testimony, not one event of healing ever took place in those orphanages. Why not? If you can believe God for the care, the daily care of 2,500 orphans, seems like you ought to be able to believe God for headaches. What's the difference? The difference is where we apply ourselves. The difference is not in God's word. The difference is, is not even in what capacity we have. The difference is in what we apply ourselves. That's why that phrase, and shall not doubt in his heart, means so much to me. And shall not doubt in his heart. That's what Brother Hagin was saying to the Lord where he said, if your word's true, I'm coming off this bed. Because he's operating, speaking, and acting according to what he believes. Not according to what he sees. Not according to what he feels. Certainly not according to the doctor's diagnosis. I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Lord, if your word's true, thus and such is going to happen. And I'm not saying it like I'm not sure if it is. I'm saying it if your word is true and I know what it is, this has got to happen. And more than once, I've had the Lord speak to me and say, okay, now you need to do this. Because there's something in order for that to happen, there's something that I need to tweak. It's not the problem. It's never on God's end. And here's the work of the Holy Ghost showing me things to come. Here's the work of the Holy Ghost guiding me into all truth. The reality, the victory of whatever Jesus has purchased for us. Have faith in God. For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have. There's no wiggle room there, folks, to guarantee. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say unto you, Jesus told us, what things soever you desire. First of all, he says it works for whosoever, and then he says it'll work on what things soever you desire. Sounds like the sky's the limit, doesn't it? What things soever you desire. When you pray, 
Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, folks, that didn't change when Jesus died. James chapter 5 tells us that if there's any sick among us, let us call, let them, the sick, call for the elders of the church and let the elders pray over them, anointing them with all in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. Same prayer of faith. Same operation of faith. Believing in your heart instead of according to what you see and feel. Believing that you receive when you pray. Believing that you receive healing when you pray instead of when you see a change in your body. Prayer of faith still works, and it'll always work. Thank God for faith. I don't understand people taking the sides against God where faith is concerned. I just don't get that. Do they not know what it'll do for them? I guess they don't. Who would fight it if they knew? Thank God for faith. How many of you are believing God for something? Are you operating according to the principles of faith? Well, if you are, you can stand with Brother Hagin and say to the Lord, if your word's true, then my situation is changing. If your word's true, then my circumstance will change. This sickness has got to leave my body. If your word is true, then my needs are met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If your word is true, then the deal has to go through. It has to go through. That's the position we need to take, folks. We need to be just that strong about things. If your word is true, Father, and we know that it is, then things have to change. No doubt about it. No question about it. Things have to change. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to walk by faith. What a privilege. (laughs) To operate according to what your word says instead of what we see and feel. Father, if your word is true, then our bodies have to change. If your word is true, then this sickness has to depart. If your word is true, then our needs are met. If your word is true, Father, things must change. So, Father, we thank you. By faith, we give you thanks. We declare, it's mine, I have it now. Holy Spirit, any adjustments we need to make, thank you for revealing them to us. Thank you that you show us. You don't try to hide anything from us. And if you don't show us, then we know we're on the right track. And we stand firm, stand strong, and continue to make our confession based on what we believe from God's word instead of what we see. Oh, Father, thank you for doing the miraculous. Just simply because we believe. Just simply because we trust you. What a privilege it is, Father, to live from our spirits, to live by believing your word from our heart and speaking your word instead of being subject to the circumstances of life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Have a great week.